0: To get started, just fill out a brief questionnaire that matches you up with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Take a moment. Visit BetterHelp.com slash FilmDaily today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash FilmDaily.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for October 6, 2017. On today's show, we're going to be talking about Netflix prices, Westworld Season 2, a V for Vendetta TV series Tyrese and the delay for fast nine and bride of Frankenstein has been postponed. Is the dark universe dead and in the mailbag, we will address some questions that arose from our discussion about spoilers on yesterday's podcast. Joining me today is slash film weekend editor Bradford Omen. Hello. He's back. And, uh, Slash Film Writer why Tran Buie.
2: Hey everyone,
1: um, Brad. How's it been? Like, you, you've been gone for quite a bit. You're in the uh, the teaching realm these days.
3: Yes, yes. I've been student teaching to complete uh, a graduate program to get my teaching license to teach English at the high school level, and my I, I'm just exhausted. <laughs> <laughs> it, is, it has been a nonstop whirlwind. Like uh, I'm still keeping up with some slash film stuff, but then. I'm teaching my classes and I have to do a bunch of extra stuff for my student teaching program uh, to go along with it. And it's just it is a lot. My my free time has been drastically cut to almost being non-existent. I haven't been to a movie theater in, I want to say, two and a half, three weeks. You're, um, you're wasting I'm,
1: money on that movie pass, Brad.
3: <laughs> I mean, not really, because I'll see like two movies uh, in a month and it'll pay for itself. And so I'm finally seeing Blade Runner 2049 tonight the night of this recording uh so that will be a, a nice escape for me
1: you're seeing that before me by the way my girlfriend Kitra ordered a movie pass the week that they announced the 999 price and still has not gotten it in the
2: mail i have not received mine either i it's been i think more than a month now
3: <laughs> my friend Andy ordered his the same time and he just got his a couple days ago yeah
1: the, so they they must be on a they, they must have gotten so many orders that they couldn't fulfill like they're probably they probably had to buy like a MasterCard facility to you know create those uh those credit cards um (laughs) to fulfill the orders uh anyways let's get into the news uh speaking about movie prices Netflix is raising the prices yet again HT what do we know
2: so, Netflix is raising the prices of its standard plan and its premium plan. The standard plan will go up from 9 dollars per month to $10.99 per month, while the premium service, which caters to Ultra HD and four-device simultaneous viewing, will rise from $11.99 per month to $13.99 per month. Oh, and I forgot to say the standard plan is the plan that allows subscribers to stream on two devices simultaneously. But the good news that comes out of this is that the basic plan, the lowest here, uh, remains the same at $7.99, which it has stayed at since the plan began in 2010. So this is the second time that Netflix has raised its prices in two years. The last time it raised its prices, it was in 2015, um, and they did a sort of confusing slow rollout back then that was meant to appeal to its longtime subscribers. But this time around, they're just doing it immediately. It's happening in November. And users users will begin uh, to see a 30-day notice uh, starting on October 19th. So they'll get a little uh, notification saying the prices will change in a month um, starting in, in, in November. And um, this is sort of on the tails of increased competition that Netflix is seeing in the streaming service uh, field. We're seeing more original content from Amazon Prime, Hulu. Uh, Disney recently uh, announced that it was going to pull all of its original films and Marvel and Star Wars films from Netflix to its own exclusive streaming service uh, beginning in 2019. So it makes sense that Netflix is starting to try to up its game. It's rolling out a few more features like downloading and um, trying to appeal more to uh, current and new subscribers. And uh, apparently uh, chief content officer Ted Sarandos told Variety that Netflix plans to spend about $7 billion on original shows and movies next year, which is a lot. So this will definitely be adding to that. Do you think anybody
1: is outraged over this, you know, increase of a couple dollars? Like it seems to me that like we are underpaying for Netflix as it is. They 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 in 2017 they're producing over a 1000 hours of new original content uh for us. I'm paying $15 for HBO. And mm-hmm. you know, that's more and I what do I watch on HBO? Game of Thrones? Like uh you know, an hour a week, which isn't even on right now. So I mean, uh,
3: that, that's all you're using HBO for. You're using HBO wrong, first of all.
2: <laughs> I, am, of I all, am. I probably am because
1: I, I'm renting a lot of movies instead of actually watching older movies. You you are cracked.
2: <laughs> they have new movies on HBO, too. You're missing out on some of the new films that they release on there.
3: Yeah, there's plenty of good stuff on HBO that like I've missed in theaters, and I'm, I'm like, oh, cool, I can catch this on HBO now. And there's also just some like, good stuff that is older that it's nice to see again that I don't have on DVD or but, okay. Easily available to to watch
1: but back to Netflix do you think that this price is is outrageous like it, it seems it definitely seems like it's we're getting way more value than $11 oh, out of the service
2: I think it's at not- this point we're okay. getting more value I'm, I remember when uh, the prices were first raised back in 2015 and, and I think when they did another uh, price hike earlier I was a little bit upset about that because back then they didn't have nearly the amount of content of films and shows that they have now and as a longtime subscriber of Netflix, I had Netflix way before they started streaming back when they were doing the mail and DVDs. I was a little upset that I wasn't getting any sort of incentive as a longtime subscriber. But now it's kind of like it's it's what you buy and you get you get what you pay for, essentially. So I think as of now, I'm I'm OK with it.
3: Yeah, I'm not going to be up in arms about it. But, pe- you know, people in general just don't like when something goes up in price. I, I know that when my movie theater that we used to have in town here raised their prices on tickets, it was always like, come on, really? Like, and, and and if the experience isn't improved or nothing is made better, then that can be really frustrating. Now, Netflix, since they're going to keep increasing the amount of original programming they're making, sure, we'll get, we'll get some benefit out of it. But it's not something that you necessarily feel or see immediately to justify the price increase. So I, I'm not going to complain. I'm, I'm fine with it. You know, it's an extra $12 a year for the amount i get from netflix isn't going to break my bank or make me cry but you know it it's, it can be a little frustrating i suppose
1: okay so t- w- speaking of hbo westworld season 2 is coming up they're promoting it at new york comic con i'm a little hesitant on how we should preface this n- news story because of spoilers but I would just say... Um,
3: if you haven't seen Westworld Season 1, you probably shouldn't listen to this part of the podcast.
1: Yeah, maybe skip ahead like three minutes uh, if you haven't seen Westworld Season 1. I think it's fair to say this. Uh, before you skip ahead, it's fair to say this. The movie Westworld, which the series is based on, included not just Westworld, but other worlds, right? Yes. Yes. Uh, so it has been speculated since it was said to be in development that Westworld might actually enter other worlds. Now saying that, if you want to know what may or may not be in the works, you can fast forward <laughs> about three minutes. Brad, what do we know?
3: Uh, the Vanity Fair Summit has been going on where various bits of entertainment news has been coming out and Westworld creators and executive producers Jonathan Nolan and Lisa Joy were there to talk about the upcoming season of the show and they were asked about the possibility of maybe seeing Roman World or Medieval World, which are two of the amusement parks from the original Westworld movie, pop up in the next season. They asked, since you guys included Shogun World in the season finale of the first season, why were Roman World and Medieval World left out? And Nolan simply responded by saying, well, we had to save something for season two. So that seems to be confirmation that we'll start to explore the fact that there are other theme parks that exist besides Westworld and Shogun World, which isn't really a surprise. Like we said, they existed in the original movie, but since we haven't seen any of those worlds yet, that'll be something new if we get to to check into the operations of those parks and whether or not they have been affected by what's been happening at Westworld
1: yeah that's what I'm wondering I'm wondering has all hell broken loose in those worlds as well or do they have separate entry points like you know you saw how like the train comes into the station uh, for people to come to Westworld is that the entry point for all these worlds and if so or if not like are those worlds still operating are they other like you know is Disneyland closed but Disney California Adventure still you know going full steam
3: yeah, you would think that they would have to be separate because they're so big and expansive. Like, obviously, the train doesn't take you to those other worlds, but the hub that we see um, is probably goes to all these different sections. And so, but what it makes me wonder actually even more so now because there's been a lot of conversation about this is exactly where Westworld exists. Because if there are all these other worlds that are just as big as Westworld, there has to be a massive area of land for all these parks to exist and some people have posited that westworld maybe takes place on a different planet or something like that and so maybe we'll learn more about that as we learn more about these other parks
1: yes uh moving on let's uh move on from westworld to another tv series in development and that is v for vendetta something i never expected to become a tv show uh hd what do we know
2: so V for Vendetta is reportedly in development uh, from British TV network Channel Four. Uh, they're the network responsible for high-concept genre hits like Black Mirror b- before it came over to Netflix, uh, Misfits, Ultraviolet, and Humans. And this is the only thing we know about it so far. There isn't any news about who the writers, or showrunners, or producers for this is. But uh, this is a this is an interesting sort of take on V for Vendetta, which is um, definitely a a story that you wouldn't expect to be adapted to film either because of how ambitious and how high concept it is. But I actually enjoyed the film that came out that that was uh, directed by James McTeague and written by the Wachowskis and starring Hugo Weaving and Natalie Portman. So that film I enjoyed, although author uh, of the graphic novel Alan Moore did not. So we'll see if he is any more receptive to this TV show news.
1: What worries me about um, this UK, uh, this British network, Channel 4, is a lot of the stuff they do is is kind of low budget. And I feel mm-hmm. like this probably needs a little bit of a budget.
3: I'm like HT. I, I like the original movie as well. and But I can't say that I'm necessarily intrigued to see this turn into a TV series, especially like you said, Peter this you know british outlet they they do some lower budget stuff that isn't all that impressive so i feel like it's just going to be one of those things where we'll hear about it and talk about it for a bit but then it'll kind of fall to the wayside so it's it still has relevancy um which is frustrating for a number of reasons (laughs) um but yeah i don't know i'm I, i feel like i'm indifferent probably so one thing we haven't talked about on this podcast is that the ninth installment of the Fast and Furious franchise was pushed back from its original April 2019 release date all the way back to an Easter weekend release uh, in 2020. So that extra year delay apparently really got Tyrese Gibson worked up into a frenzy because he made a whole post on Instagram uh, pleading to Dwayne Johnson to not do what was assumed to be a spin-off involving his character Hobbs and Jason Satham's character Shaw that would be separate from the entire Fast and Furious franchise and not one of the sequels as part of the main saga. I love that we're talking about Fast and Furious like it's the Star Wars franchise now, by the way. <laughs> um, but but uh, So he w- didn't want this to happen, and now apparently it sounds like he knows something that we don't because he has created another passionate post on Instagram, this one being much more forward, um, di- directed towards Dwayne Johnson, saying congratulations to The Rock uh, <laughs> and your brother-in-law, a.k.a. Seven Buck's producing partner, um, his, seven, his producing partner, for making the Fast and Furious franchise about you. And he goes on to complain because it's, it sounds like there's going to be a Hobbes-centric movie that may not feature Shaw because he creates this hashtag, no Shaw, and now he's upset because Fast and Furious 9 is pushed back, presumably because that means Tyrese doesn't get a paycheck that he gets to spend on who knows what. Um, and I can't help but think that Tyrese is just being so whiny and desperate because, like, what do you care if it gets if it's pushed back? Like, go do something else. If you're that good of an actor.
1: Brad, he I- has nothing else to do. He's sitting at home <laughs> waiting for them to
2: call him. No, he's not I, that good of an actor.
3: No, and he's he's not, and we know that because he was desperately trying to get the role of Green Lantern, which you know probably isn't something that's going to happen for him either. Yo, okay. so I posted just, on
1: Instagram a while back begging Michael Bay to put him in the Last Transformers, which was hilarious.
3: Yeah, he was like, he didn't understand why he wasn't back, and it's like, well, Tyrese, let's look at your you know trends lately. It's, maybe it's because you're whiny and you're just desperate to be in all these movies. Maybe you can go back to to, to rapping, I guess. And maybe, I just,
1: it's all, maybe it's also that he's an unknown quantity. He's like unfiltered and he'll – he almost – I mean if you watch the – oh, this is an example of my HBO viewing. If you watch the HBO doc on uh, Dr. Dre and the, the whole Beats saga that uh, – I forget the name of the, the – the, the
3: Defiant Ones. The
1: Defiant Ones. That opens with Tyrese almost single-handedly with a – I think a Facebook video or Instagram video almost ruining the Apple Beats uh, acquisition. Like, he, you know, he went live on video and announced it before the deal was done. Uh, you know, this is a guy that can't, uh, you know, you can't trust with anything.
3: Yeah, he's a loose cannon. And if there's one thing that, you know, studios don't like, it's actors who don't know how to, you know, censor what they say and keep secrets, that kind of thing. Just, it, this is a big part of the reason that uh, Asa Butterfield didn't end up with the job as Spider-Man because as soon as there was an inkling that he was the front runner to get it, Apparently, he was acting like he had already gotten the job. Even people on the set of the movie he was working at the time started calling him Spider Man. And then Marvel was like, uh, "Yeah, we don't like this. Nope, we're going with uh, you know somebody else." <laughs>
1: <laughs> For sure, um, it'll be interesting to see what comes of uh, this cryptic speak that Tyrese is talking about. It seems I like- hope
3: that even if they so if they do this spinoff and Fast Nine is delayed, I hope the first thing they do in Fast Nine is have a scene where Tyrese has just a, a, a very complicated death.
1: that that would that would be fun that would be yeah
3: or maybe even maybe even just to add insult to injury just make it be like a really terrible death like all of a sudden he just get gets hit by a car that's driven by just a random person
2: a vending machine falls on him
1: (laughs) right (laughs) The the thing is, even if they did that, Brad, uh, the Fast and Furious saga, as you call it, uh, uh, they can bring people back from the dead. They've done it before. So, uh, you know, that doesn't mean the end of Tyrese. He would still be on Instagram begging them to give him another shot. Uh, So, I don't know. Uh, But talking about sagas, uh, the dark universe is a dead. Bride of Frankenstein has been postponed. H T. what do we know?
2: Writer Frankenstein director Bill Condon was working on pre-production for the film, and it was going to start filming in February 2018, but pre-production was suddenly halted uh, today, and they decided to postpone it to work, retool the script, uh, work on the project a little more, and it's basically been put on hold with stars Javier Bardem and reported star Angelina Jolie just kind of lying in the waits until it begins again. So... The statement that Universal Pictures sent was after thought- thoughtful consideration, Universal Pictures and director Bill Condon have decided to postpone Bride of Frankenstein. None of us want to move too quickly to meet a release date when we know the special movie needs more time to come together. Bill is a director whose enormous talent has proven time and again, and we all look forward to continu- continuing to work on this film together. So... Bill Condon has said that he wants to make this just a good solo monster film and not just another cog in the cinematic universe machine. But So this may be just him trying to retool the film uh, while the executives in the studio tries to launch the the universe after The Mummy failed at the box office and with critics. So this might just be another sort of um, attempted start point for... The Dark Universe,
1: yeah. and it should be said that the 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 Mummy failed domestically in the U.S., but internationally it did uh, fairly well. I wouldn't say it was a success, but um, uh, en- enough that Universal might still be doing this Dark Universe. It's it's unclear, uh, especially with it would this
3: be news. Ex- it would be extremely embarrassing if they didn't, especially after they made a whole special Dark Universe logo <laughs> to sp- spin around behind the Universal logo to introduce the Mummy. <laughs>
1: Like, what were they thinking? Like, I feel like they should have waited and, you know, done this as Iron Man. You don't announce, like, oh, we're going for the Avengers. Do you know what right, I mean? Right, exactly.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Um,
2: they definitely got a little too big for their britches yeah. um, in terms of the cinematic universe. Like No one was really lining up to see all these classic movie monsters interact in a big blockbuster spectacle. But apparently enough people thought they would. And if you wanted to see that, why not
1: just remake Monster Squad? Like you know, why not just go right into that? Um, I like Bill Condon, uh, and he has a love for the Universal Monster movies. Uh, that is very clear in all his work. He puts you know Easter eggs and references, and uh, I'm not sure I'm excited for Bride of Frankenstein, uh, but I don't know. I, we'll see if it if it happens. It sounds like Universal is saying it's still going to happen, but uh, they're just going to work a little bit longer on it. Uh, let's get into the mailbag because we have uh, quite a bit of a mailbag today. Um, yesterday on the podcast, uh, we featured in our feature presentation, HT's article on the rise of spoiler culture. And we kind of had this discussion with uh, HT and myself are both kind of on the same page. We agree that uh, spoilers are not to be feared as much as everybody is fearing them uh uh, i think maybe a couple people might have took that the wrong way to mean that we we like spoilers and uh, i don't know about ht but i I mean i don't like spoilers i don't want to spoil myself uh and i don't want to spoil others uh i uh do you mean like uh, it's it's not that it's just that if i am if i do get spoiled on a movie and that's a, mo- a good movie. The mo- movie's still going to be good, regardless of the spoiler. Um, but anyways, before before uh, we get into the discussion here, I w- let's read this letter from the mailbag. It's from Sherwin V. Uh, from the Bay Area. He writes in, regarding the podcast on Rise of Spoiler Culture, I was a bit surprised on your stance on the matter. However, given that you cover film news, spoilers come with the territory of the job. So I do understand that you might have developed into that position. I feel that there are two topics discussed and should be treated separately from each other. Number one, the film is no, it is no good. If you know the key elements going in, I agree with both of you, both you and HT that the quality of the film doesn't change. A well-crafted film is what it is. Spoilers do not change that. However, Keeping a lid on spoilers is about preserving the experience, which which leads to his second point. Knowing a death or twist is coming doesn't matter. Now, first of all, we didn't say that. <laughs> OK, he says uh, disagree with the, uh, this completely. Knowing major elements going to film changes how you view the movie. The context changes watching The Sixth Sense a second time after you know the twist is a totally different experience. Rather than watching things unfold, you instead are watching for clues, inter interactions as to how the twist works or is justified. Now he goes on more. I'll, I'll, I'll get into that in a bit, but I think we should just respond to that. Um, I would say first off, before I hand it over to you guys, that we never said that knowing a death or twist, is, is coming doesn't matter we said that uh if you're going to enjoy the film you're not going to enjoy it less because you know that's coming going into force awakens uh i knew who was going to die uh in the third act of that film and that still affected me in, in an emotional way it, it i didn't um Look for clues to see it coming. I know he uses Sixth Sense as an example. And I feel like there's not many films that you can use as that example. There's that and maybe Memento are the only two that, like, you can kind of totally recontextualize a film based on a twist. Um, Usual Suspects. What was that? Oh, yes. That too. Usual
2: Suspects, yeah. yeah.
1: Uh, what do you guys think of uh, what he said? Let's go to Brad first because HT, we, we heard from you yesterday.
3: Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm mostly on the same page with you guys too. I um I don't think spoilers can ruin a movie whatsoever. It can make the experience feel a little less special sometimes because if you find out something before a movie that w- would have been a moving or shocking surprise when you see the movie for the first time, uh, that kind of takes away a little bit of the magic. But like like you guys said, if a movie is great, knowing details about it, no matter how revealing they are isn't going to spoil that movie and you're right the sixth sense is a very unique example and i i, I wholeheartedly agree with the deaths aspect too um, like you i knew for a fact that han solo is going to die in that movie but if anything that actually made the lead up to that sequence feel that much more powerful because i knew what was coming and it created a different kind of tension and sadness, because every time I saw Han Solo, I was like, "Oh my God, this is the last time, you know, this is going to happen," or like, "Or the, oh man, this is where he's going to die." And the moment when he does die was just like it's it's crushing for sure. So it did, that didn't ruin the aspect for me, but I do understand where people are coming from when it comes to spoilers taking away from the experience. But where I have a problem is when people start complaining about certain details being spoilers when they're not. And this is the problem that we run into a lot at Slashfilm, where something that is in a headline or a tweet that we send out, they're like, gosh, were not you guys stop it with the spoilers, all right? And it, there's, these are details that are being revealed by the director about the movie a year and a half in advance before the movie comes out. If they thought that was something that was going to ruin the experience of the movie, there's no way in hell they would be telling you about it. So I think that this idea of fearing spoilers has escalated to a point Where any information on the internet that a person individually doesn't want to know about is automatically deemed a spoiler. When it's not our job to adhere to everyone's own weird rules of what they don't want to know about a movie. If you don't want to – or a TV show even. If you don't want to know anything about those movies or TV shows, stop reading any article about those movies or TV shows. Because you're bound to find out things that you didn't want to know until you watched it.
1: Yes. um, Okay. Well, I want to pose this question to H.T., uh, there seems to be kind of like this rise in the spoiler culture of and uh, Jeff Kanata, who is a uh, slash film cast host, is one of the proponents of this, of the unsullied experience. And he goes into a movie without seeing any advertising, without seeing any trailers, without knowing what the plot is. He wants the the experiment, the experience completely pure. Does mm-hmm. that make HD, does that make for a better cinema going experience
2: well i don't know if that makes for a better cinema going experience i don't begrudge people who want to avoid any and all spoilers or details about a movie um and there are moments too when i think oh i wish i hadn't known or read of this going in um but i think it's it's honestly people's personal preference. I think, you know, some people want to know a little bit about the movie before going in so they know what to expect. Um, I spoke about this in the piece, uh, the kind of expectations that you go in with the, with a movie, like for Mother, for example, people had different expectat- expectations going in um, and that was part of like this misleading marketing so that they could avoid all spoilers, uh, but then they ended up having a horrible time. And I think, you know, I admire the unsolid experience. I have moments with a movie where I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what the movie is about. I do enjoy it, but I don't think I'll try it for every movie just because it sounds so exhausting to try to avoid <laughs> all and everything. It's like, you really have to shut your eyes. And especially like oh, in the I've, work I've, we do.
1: I've been with Jeff Kanata at, uh, screenings movie screenings where the trailers begin to play and he puts his fingers in his ears closes his <laughs> eyes and starts making noises so he can't hear what is going on in screen and like no offense to Jeff I I'm a good friend with him I'm I'm, I'm hanging out with him this weekend uh I I don't want to live my life in fear <laughs> of, of mm-hmm. marketing and my my answer to this question is that as i become older i used to be a person who would you know get excited to go to Sundance each year see f- films that i didn't know what they were about who th- who's in them you know every go in un- unsullied as unsullied as possible because there hasn't even been trailers or photos or anything do you know what i mean and mm-hmm. uh i used to love that process of discovering things and uh not to say anything bad about Sundance in general, but just in movies in general, um, I feel like when you do that, you set yourself up for more disappointment. Because I think uh, I think it's it's wrong that we that we that in this form in in, in entertain the entertainment world that we're uh, valuing ignorance over uh an informed opinion. I, I I I don't see every I the reason why I think many people think that critics hate more movies than they hate is because critics are paid to see everything. And that includes movies that they would never see if it was, you know, playing on the TV, you know, next to them in a cafe. And uh you at home, you're going to pay for the things that you are interested in. So you have an interest in you. You have an investment already. You saw the trailer. There's has an actor or director you like in it. It has a plot that you like. So you have some kind of uh some some kind of connection to it. And I think that's with me as I'm going getting older. I'm seeing less. I don't want to say less movies because I still see probably like four or five movies a week, but not four or five new movies. I I, I see only the movies that i want to see you know i'm not going to the movie to see any old movie because you know i don't want to waste my time there's too much content we're on peak tv uh you know I, i'm by making by watching the trailer getting excited for something and knowing where i'm going to invest my time i think that's smart um and i think it leads to uh in in the end more uh i i I have a better experience in the end but that's just me i'm not looking down upon the people that don't um
2: actually going off of that peter i think that um the point about seeing knowing everything going into a movie uh strengthens sometimes your experience like for example when we want to rewatch a movie that we love we know everything that has happened um in it and we can probably like Recite it word for word, but that doesn't ruin our experience of the movie any more than it did when we watched it the first time Even we might even like it more if we watch it again and again So I don't think that spoilers or knowing what happens in movies can ruin your experience I don't begrudge people who want to go in um, completely blind, but I think that Either way if the story like I said is strong enough then it will carry you along for the ride
1: Brad do you have any thoughts on this?
3: Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm not quite on the same page with you because I still relish the Sundance experience of going into a movie blind, especially without any buzz whatsoever. I like discovering a movie that nobody yet knows about. It's it's it does create this.
1: uh, You know, I I should say that Sundance is probably a bad example for me to give because you're not going into any movie blind. You're going into a movie that a prestigious film festival and good programmers have. You know, edited to you know, they have picked out the good ones. So uh, that's probably well, a bad example just, on my part.
3: Well, not always the good ones because I've seen plenty of bad <laughs> math <at> Sundance too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But uh, but 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 also, I think tying into this conversation though is that's kind of all part of you know how we experience entertainment in general is it's all subjective. Is you know Sundance has these amazing programmers who who have great taste in film, but they also have different taste in film, and. So even, even if they love a movie and they think it's good enough to be in their film festival, that's a movie that I watched and I'm like, I really wish I hadn't wasted my time with this because now that's a ticket I didn't get you know, to see a movie that I might have loved. And I think that that's a case you know, with any movie. And you, kinda, you have to take the good with the bad when you're a movie fan. Otherwise, you're only going to see stuff that you know you're going to like and you're going to play it safe. And I know a lot of general audiences do that because their time is limited, especially you know parents with kids. You wanna go out to a movie, if you're gonna spend, you know, that forty dollars to get tickets and popcorn and pop, and you're gonna have a night away from your kids, you wanna know it's a movie that's gonna be worth your time. But at the same time, I don't think that's, you know, a good enough reason to worry about, you know, keeping that experience intact by going into a movie without knowing at least a little bit about what you're going what you're going to see like there's there's a fine line between it. like i have a friend actually it's my friend ben who co-hosts uh go flicks yourself with me and he's been trying to only see one trailer for a movie and if he's sold on it and if he thinks it looks good then he doesn't want to see anything else from it so he gives himself a little bit taste and then if there's any new trailers tv spots he avoids it so that that way most of the experience is preserved He still doesn't know spoilers, but he has a good idea of what to expect from the movie. And I think that that's a good balance. And it's something that I wish I could probably do and I would do more of if I wasn't, you know, in this position of having to know as much about movies as I need to to write for Slash Film. But it's nothing that I feel frustrated about necessarily.
1: That's another thing he brings up here is like, you know, we we do this for a living. We dive into the news and the spoilers for a living. Uh, But I I personally, I, I, I think I would still have this opinion even if I didn't do this for the living, uh, a living, you know, when the Phantom Menace came, was announced, when episode one was announced, you know, I became invested as a Star Wars fanatic for, you know, two or three years, like digging in, seeing like all the like set photos and, you know, reading rumors. And when the first trailer, you know, I went to the theater to see the first trailer, which is that teaser trailer is amazing. And, you know, I waited outside overnight to get tickets and, uh, you, you know, all the stuff. And that whole experience of that three years The movie at the end of it was not Empire Strikes Back. It was not A New Hope. Uh, It was not Return of the Jedi. Um, I don't think it was as bad of a movie as many people say it is, but uh, it definitely wasn't a great movie. And even though I invested three years of my life getting excited for this thing that didn't end up being one of my favorite films of all time, I would never give that away Ever. Like, I had so much fun getting excited and in, in having that ride. Um, so, th- I mean, that's what I hope people come to Slash Film partly for, is to get excited for things. Uh, you know, I like to get excited for things. Um, but, uh, you know, I also don't want to know Han Solo is going to die. But sometimes that happens. Sometimes you, you end up hearing that. And sometimes I'll, 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 sometimes, obviously, you put the two and two together and you realize... You know, Harrison Ford wanted to be killed off in Return of the Jedi, and George Lucas said no. Hmm. I wonder what's <laughs> going to happen in Force Awakens. Uh, you know, I, let's get on to the, the last part of this email because we're, we're, we're running long. Uh, circling back, or uh, this is, uh, Sherwin says, circling back to preserving the experience magic. I know you're a huge fan of magic and practice it. How would you feel if the veil of secrecy around every single magic trick, uh, that exists was lifted. Would it still be magic if the whole audience knew what was coming or how it was done? Sure. If done well, it's still a great trick and as with a great film. When the viewer knows what's coming though, the wonder and magic are just less special. Would love to hear your thoughts on this, whether by podcast or response by email. Well we're doing it by podcast. I, I wanna respond to that, um One of my favorite magic routines you can find on YouTube, it's Penn and Teller doing the one of the oldest magic tricks known to man is called cups and balls. It's where they have three balls, three cups. There's actually more balls that are hidden and they end up putting the balls through cups. And this is like this whole routine. The the Egyptians did it way back in the pyramids. Um, Penn and Teller like to do this trick with clear plastic cups. So that, and they, they tell the audience exactly how they're doing it. I'm putting, you know, I'm slipping a ball underneath this cup when the audience doesn't see it. You know, it, like go through the entire routine. And it is brilliant. It is a brilliant deconstruction of, of magic and showing not only how much work goes into some of these routines, but uh, you will, even though you are seeing exactly how it's happening, be fooled you will be fooled with clear plastic cups and it's not because they're doing any magic it it's just it's that good of a a, a trick i think when you have something on that level something that is that great it's not going to matter if you know how it's done when you go to a magic show and you see a lady get onto a table and a magician put uh boxes over her you know that she's going to get cut in half it's not that a surprise coming and you know that she's probably in the table somewhere but you still enjoy it. I, I go to the Magic Castle. I'm a member of the Magic Castle. I know, I would say, probably how 90% of the tricks are done when I see them at the Magic Castle. And it doesn't ruin my enjoyment of them whatsoever. Actually, sometimes it enhances my enjoyment. It's almost like uh, you know, seeing a visual effect in a movie when you've, you've seen a whole you know behind-the-scenes feature on the lengths that went to putting that together. Uh, so I, I, I don't think um, I don't think that uh, knowing that and I should also say that the magic community is the it, group of a lot of uh, they kind of have an old timey uh, sensibility. Uh, it, it, some changes are coming in the past uh, decade since David Blaine kind of broke with street magic uh, YouTube culture there's this whole YouTube culture of having tutorials for magic on YouTube and almost any trick you you want to know you can go to YouTube and find out how it works uh, a lot of magicians are angry at this uh, I know uh, you know I'm part of the uh, AMA which one of the the code is to not reveal secrets but I honestly don't think that if an audience knows the secret that that ruins the illusion if the magic is good enough and if it is performed in an artful way even if they know how it's done it is going to amaze you um do either of you i I know this was a magic question do either of you have any thoughts on this
2: well i i agree with you peter i think that there is this it's the it's on the audience as well to suspend that disbelief whether when it comes to magic or when it comes to movies and if knowing a particular detail or knowing what happened behind the scenes for example ruins uh, a movie or an experience for you i feel like that's a very pedantic way of experiencing things and it takes the magic out of it to uh say (laughs) it (laughs) To, um and yeah i I don't know if this is a perfect uh, metaphor because I feel like with the issue of magic and knowing like the details of a, of a trick, it feels more like knowing, you know, what came, went into a movie. Like this was actually plastic and a uh, bubble gum that was making this, uh, horror, horrific injury or something like that. You know, it's, it's, it's a little bit, um, it's kind of a loose analogy, but I, I see what they're going for. And I think that, yeah, it's, it's, I don't think that knowing specific details will ruin a movie if you are invested enough in the story or in the experience. I,
1: I would say this. Uh, I'll give a Star Wars example. Uh, Rey in The Force Awakens gets her quarter portion. She takes it home, puts some water in it, and it grows into like this like loaf of bread or something. Um, this is something when I saw the movie, and I saw it many times, I thought was just a visual effect. You know, just CG. And I when I talked to the visual effects guys like a month after release, they told me that that was a practical effect, that there is a guy that kind of inflates this like, you know, the loaf. It comes out of the bottom of the thing and inflates into the bowl. And now when I see that scene, that doesn't ruin it for me. It doesn't ruin it. It makes me marvel at how amazing that is. And I know that's probably... uh, We're getting far away from the spoiler discussion. But uh, that's how I feel with magic. Uh, When I know the secret um, and I see someone great performing it in in an artistic way, it is that much more amazing. Um, Brad, do you have any final thoughts on this?
3: No, not really. You know, I mean... Just uh, people need, to, people need to stop spoiling movies. People need to stop complaining about things that aren't spoilers, and you know, just just enjoy the journey.
1: Yeah, no, I think I, I agree with you. I think we need to be courteous. We need to stop spoiling stuff for others, but we also have to be reasonable and not consider, uh, you know, something that the the filmmaker and studio is putting out there in the public a spoiler. Um, we got to be realistic here. But uh, exactly. Hopefully, you have gotten something out of our uh, two episodes talking about movie and television spoilers. Uh, Brad, thanks for coming back. I know that it's been busy for you with all the teaching.
3: Yeah, it's been crazy busy. And I'll I'll, I'll try and check in every, every now and then when I'm not, you know, crying somewhere. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Anyways, you can find more of my work at Slash Film. You can find ht at at htranbuoy you can find brad at ethan underscore anderton collectively they have the millennial falcon podcast and go flicks yourself which you can find on itunes you can find this podcast published every weekday on uh itunes google play overcast all the popular podcast apps uh thank you for listening go to itunes give us a review give us a rating and uh we'll talk to you tomorrow